why should I go away? Why why do I just want to skulk off into the shadows and be like, okay, I did my one show and that's good enough. No, I don't want to go away. I want you to continue to see me and think, oh, there should be more of him. Why shouldn't there be more South Asians? Why shouldn't there be more Muslims on TV? Why shouldn't there be more queer people on TV? And I represent all of those things. And I was so scared of it. Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, editor-in-chief of Instar Magazine, and each week I'm talking to a legendary lady about what she does, how she does it, and what we can learn from her. But not this week, because I am thrilled to welcome our first man, a random man, (laughs) to the podcast. Tan France is a beloved member of Queer Eyes Fab Five, a man who always looks immaculate and who has an incredible, kind little heart. Tan France? Yes. Welcome to Ladies First. Where in? You are our first and only for this year, random man. Am I the gentleman first? No, just random. Okay. Just the random man. I'll take the random man and the ladies first. Tell me, uh, I really want to know how great an honor is this? I honestly do feel really proud. (laughs) Is that really sad that I feel so proud? (laughs) (laughs) I do. I feel incredibly proud. Um, It's quite an honor, but it feels right. Why wouldn't I be the only man that you have on this year? It seems appropriate. It really does. So look, in this podcast, we normally speak to ladies that are first in what they do, but we can also sometimes speak to fellas who are, of which you are one, Tan France. And what a, what a, what would they say in, what do Americans say? A multi-hyphenate, a polymath, a minx. Let's stick with Minx. I like that as my main title. (laughs) (laughs) Professional Minx. Yeah, Yeah, uh, professional Minx. You're a Minx on Queer Eye. You uh, help uh, men also discover their own Minx. (laughs) Sounds a bit odd. Fashion-wise, but you know what I love about you and I think what viewers uh, love about you and all the things you do is the kindness with which you treat people and the care you take with, with people who may not be used to, you know, this fashion world who aren't. It's something that is overwhelming to them, and you've got a very big heart for someone in the fa- in the fashion biz. And and my fiance Brandon's always like, he's so he's just so nice. Oh, he's just so so. And I'm like, he's like, you know, but he's like, he's starting to pull a face. Like, it's sort of borderline gross, just borderline <laughs> yeah. gross and minxy. But I want to talk about quickly just where we first met because I think we first met on the internet. We did. In a chat room. It's very sordid. No. Do you know what's funny, though? You can tell our age because we call it the internet still, even though it was just Instagram. <laughs> you wouldn't believe what they have on the internet these days, Tom. We and, use this we, and we follow each other on Instagram. And, I, you know, it's so funny when, uh, when you know, somebody you know or appreciate or is notable follows you on Instagram. Brandon would refer to it as, welcome to the party. Remember one day you popped up on my Instagram and you're also, you quite, you always comment and say nice things and you're quite yeah. engaged. And I started doing the same thing with you. So we kind of insta-flirted and it was yeah. just like, ooh, hey. And then we started to flick the hair a little bit and flick the hair a little <laughs> yeah. bit. And, and maybe it had progressed to DMs. Yes, it, it had. It had. Yeah. We get to that point. And then one day in the Delta Lounge at LAX, Tan was in there, probably, you know, trying to be, look, with, with the spectacular hair that Tan has, it's a bit hard to be incognito, especially when you're trying to just get on a flight and like be chill. He had a hoodie on. It was olive. I remember he had an yeah. olive hoodie on. and I, But I just went, that's Tan. I don't care if I can't see his hair. I know. <laughs> 
And I went up to you and might have done basically like a star jump or something. You did. The energy was insane. Because <laughs> if I remember correctly, it was early. It was not an afternoon flight. It was, and I am definitely a morning person, but that was a lot of energy in a public <laughs> lounge <laughs> for a complete stranger. But I appreciated it. And I was like, oh, hello, I'm sorry, this is it. And then, so we got on our flight and then we ha- uh, took a picture at baggage claim and I had a pink hoodie on, yours was at Olive again. And that was it really. And I'm sorry, uh, I've, I've been fast interrupt. friends ever since. What? Now, even though this is your show to host, I feel like it's my duty to call you out when there's an important moment. So we had just met in real life. We had only ever communicated via DM. And we were going from LA to New York and we were on laydown seats. And so yes. you had threatened to come and lay with me at some point during this flight. And then at one point you did actually <laughs> pretend to come and you just sat on the end and I thought, oh my God, she's going to lay with me and I've never met her before. <laughs> but thankfully you just sat, sat there and chilled for a minute and then you went on your merry way. Because you don't want to lay with a woman you never met. I don't want to lay with a woman in general, correct? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay not so- laying with a woman. <laughs> Hang on, are you telling me you're gay? No, 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 no. I'm just, a, I'm just completely non-sexual. <laughs> Great, that must be actually easier. <laughs> R- really, would make life so much easier. My God, I'm it exhausted. Really make- oh, it's like, just for being so sexual, <laughs> such a mixed sexual person, I'm exhausted. <laughs> and especially now that you're a new father, you and Rob, your husband Rob, are new fathers. I'm sure it's that there's never been a sexier time. Let me tell you. The things that they say are true. When you've had a baby, all you want to do is um, find a way to create another one. So you're at it every day. You're not exhausted at all. You have all the energy in the world. Yeah, you're thriving. And I've never felt more attractive. <clears throat> <laughs> How's it going, by the way? How How is the Smurf? Has he sleeping? Smurf is well. I love that that's the question we ask every parent because that really is the most important thing. And, but it affects your sleep. Yeah, it really does. More my no, no, point. It really does. Yeah. Um, and that is the only question we should be asking. It's not about their feeding. It's not about any of that. It's, are you doing okay? Did you manage to get enough sleep to be able to function today? And the answer has been for the last eight weeks, no. I have not had enough sleep. I get around about four hours a night, which for me... Four? Uh-huh, four. I, I was a solid eight to nine hours minimum before all of this and now it's four, four. Mm-hmm. yeah Laura. how's that working out buster it's not working out great oh how do you because your job jobs um really uh depend on you being on yeah they really do uh, and it's very presentational so how are you managing that right now you know i have a few friends who have had her babies roughly the same time as me. They're all female and they all work in our industry. And I, I was talking about it with them we're, uh, on a group. Uh, and I was talking about it with them a few days ago saying, I don't understand how women do this. Uh, not only do they have to give birth, many of them breastfeed. We live in America. I don't know what things are like in Australia when it comes to maternity leave. Maternity leave and paternity leave is wicked in the UK. Really, really good. You get at least Same nine in Australia. months. Yeah, you get at least nine yeah, months. Yeah. The mom does. Yeah. And the dad gets probably yeah. three. Here, yeah. my job is such where the, uh, there's no such thing as paternity leave. You just take time off when you have a break in filming. And so I've had a few weeks off, but that's it. And that is not long enough to be able to 
get back to normal life and function. However, when your job is literally performing and making sure everyone sees you as still Mr. Nice Guy on TV. Jazzy. Where, yeah, Mr. Jazzy. Yeah. Whereas all it's made me crankier. Like I, I don't have a great tolerance for inefficiency right now. And so I think that people think I'm mean and I really want to say, no, I'm just exhausted. Okay, wait. I want to hear more about this cranky tan. It happened yesterday. Tell me. I shot something yesterday. I work on shows outside of Queer Eye and I was working on a show and they wanted me to shoot something. And I'd already shot it like six times and I knew it was as good as it was going to get. I didn't have the bandwidth to be able to do jazz hands. And so the request was, can we do it again with more energy? I was like, if you can take (gasps) my kid away, we can. But I I definitely don't have any more energy to give you right now. I mean, when do, yeah, when does Tan France snap? If you were to ask anyone who actually works with me, the thing that they know more than any other point about me is I'm always very, very, very calm, always in a good mood. But if somebody does something that I think is wildly offensive or wrong, I'm the first one to say, don't ever do that again. Don't take my kindness or weakness. I'm very, very kind, but don't cross me. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'll cut you. That's it. I, I, I'm still very much the working class boy from a council estate in England, which means we just are a little more aggressive. I choose to be kind. Well, as one should. How do you react on days when, it, you know, when people are like, woo, or, you know, the days that are good or the days that are less than good? Okay, here, here's the honest truth. If anybody else sees me out and about, my hair is done. That is basically the signal to say, you can come over, say hi, I'll do a picture, no big deal. I'm in a really good mood and I'm ready to entertain. If I have my cap and hoodie on, that means I really, really just want to get through this airport. I want to get my flight on and get to work. When people want to say hi, I will always say hi. But it's usually a case of, so nice to meet you. I'm so sorry. I'm on my way to this. Or I've, I've got to go to that. I, I would like to believe I've never, ever, ever been rude to somebody who's wanted to speak to me in public. Other than one, other than one occasion. There was one occasion. France, the so, dark side. Yeah. Somebody wanted uh, a video and they wanted me to FaceTime their partner. And I said, no, I'm so sorry. I've just gotten back from London and I, I've had a connection. I've been traveling for 18 hours. Uh, I, I'm not camera ready, but thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you. And then he just started videoing me anyway. And I was like, hi, this is super rude. Like, this is super, super rude. Can you please not film me? I, I'm asking you really nicely and you've done the complete opposite. And he's like, I don't know why you're being so difficult. You played Mr. Nice Guy on TV, but clearly you're not that nice. And I was like, I'm exhausted. And I get to choose when I'm videoed or FaceTime. Just leave Let's me just, just Just leave it. Question though, infrastructurally. So the hair, what goes in the hair? What, what is it exactly? You know, what's the, what's the arc? Okay. What's the arc of the hair? The scaffolding that's in place is this. So I, remember, I am uh, very, very South Asian, which means that we have thick hair. Like most of the wigs or weaves or whatever we see are from my people. We have very thick hair. So a lot of it is just natural and it doesn't, do, my hair can't do a lot. It stays up. That's pretty much all it can do. It can't do a lot of the cool styles that the cool white kids are doing. It's just not possible. And so I blow dry it with a bit of mousse in my hair and then I will put some pomade. That's literally it. Two products. Four minutes, not even. Not even. What was your worst hairstyle? Oh my gosh. 
It was on my 21st birthday. Actually, I might be leaning into another bad hairstyle. I'm trying to grow, grow it out. You're going to see a lot of bad moments over the next few months with my hair. But <laughs> my worst one up until this point, point was my 21st birthday. I, I, I tried to do more with my hair when I was younger. And now it's just fallen into a certain style that is easy. But before I used to do the front swoosh and the back spike. But I looked actually insane. I looked like I had swam to school, but also got an electric shock on the way. And you were still alive. And I was still alive, unfortunately, to show the result of the electrocution. It was hideous. I demand uh, photo evidence. Thank you so I much. Have, uh, um, my friends go on. But l- let me just uh, add the icing on this cake. So this was my 21st birthday. I had this shocking hair and then I topped it off by wearing what I thought was appropriate for my 21st birthday, which was what Paris Hilton was wearing at that moment. And she was so hot. And so I thought, well, I want to be hot. And so I wore head to toe Von Dutch. (laughs) A lime green Von Dutch t-shirt and these Von Dutch jeans with Von Dutch printed on the back. (laughs) gorgeous <laughs> i actually had lunch the other day with lala anthony oh yeah who's the best and she had von dutch nails baby i know it's back hang on question and i my theory is it might seem like an obvious one given that you're in you know fashion and, and the business of appearances but how vain are you many would probably say very here's how i feel about it i've always got an excuse for my shitty behavior here's how i feel about it i don't think it's necessarily vanity which I see as a negative it is doing all you can to make yourself feel as good as possible and I promise this isn't a line Laura but it is the reason why I have the job that I have my job is not let's put somebody in what we see on the runway ever so for those of you who don't know who are listening I am on a show called Queer Eye and on Queer Eye I'm not taking them to Gucci Dolce wherever like none of those stores I'm taking these regular people, mostly in uh, middle of America, who don't dress the way you would dress at New York Fashion Week. They are dressing for their normal lives. I make sure they understand the importance of just putting clothes on that they like that make them feel good, even though if it's something I might not wear. And that's how I feel about myself. I don't think it's vanity. I just want to do all I can. I want to use everything I can in my arsenal to make me feel the best I can about myself. Is that vain? Is that maybe that's vanity? No, that's uh, self-respect or just general confidence too. Because I also feel like you want, you know, I think whatever you wear, whatever in some ways is is an art. Well, it depends on your mood. Can be an armor, or just can be a comfort, or can be uh, something you slip on. So no, this look every single person, whether you're a, a bricky in a flannel shirt, or you on queer eye, or, or a model at a fashion show, every single but there is a thought that goes into the garment that goes on your body. So this podcast is called Ladies First. So I wanted to ask you uh, about women in your life and the ladies whom you put first. You know, this will come as no shock to you or anyone. As a gay man, I was surrounded by women and I continue to surround myself with women. I just find a greater connection with them. I was raised by my mom and dad, uh, but with South Asian Muslim dads are a little more standoffish and a little more removed from the parenting process than the mom is or than than a Caucasian parent. And so my mom was the primary parent for me. And then I had two older sisters who 
quite honestly, my eldest sister, who's nine years older than me, is like my mom. My mom worked a couple of jobs. She was an immigrant in England. She worked a couple of jobs, as did my dad. And so they weren't home a lot. And so my sisters were the ones who raised me. And so that was really important to me. My mom, I still speak to, even though I now live in America, they're all in England. I still speak to my mom every week. I text my sister every day, probably 10 times a day. Yeah, these women are the most important women in my life. And here now in Salt Lake, I don't have family. I have my friends who have become my family. I cook for them regularly. When I'm not working, I'll usually cook at least two or three times a week. And and I love learning what makes them tick and what they're going through because, yeah, they're really special to me, incredibly special to me. Back to your, your mom and, and your sisters and stuff. What did they make of this when you first started getting getting known? And, and what do they, what gives them a kick about what you do, but also what distinctly unimpresses them about what you do? Okay, I'll start with my mom then because that's the easiest one. My mom is so bemused by it all. So she does not have Netflix. She's never seen any of the shows that I do. She definitely can't comprehend what I do for a living. And I've shown her magazines that I'm in. My mom isn't educated. She came to the UK from Pakistan when she was in her early teens and she wasn't educated. And so I just don't think she can really, and she doesn't watch Western anything. She only watches Asian TV. So I don't think she really understands what's happening. So she's very confused by this one thing in particular. Every time I go back to England or I'm on the phone to her and she's with her family, her brother always gets really excited and wants to take a picture. Wants to do a screen grab if I'm on video or if I'm there in real life, he always wants to come over and take a picture. And she's like, it's tan. Like who, what on earth are you doing? You've known him your whole life. They couldn't care less what I do for work. And that's it. So nothing has changed in their eyes. I'm just regular tan. That's really, but it's lovely, isn't it? It's like, it's like, it's like, oh, I want to keep what's, what's yours. And not necessarily, and I'm sure you'd prefer that than your whole family having their head turned by it. And everybody in your family since birth wanting to take a picture of you when you go home um, would be odd. <laughs> But tell me about tell me about navigating the world of celebrity because you and I do talk about this a lot. I mean, you are one, and I I work with them a lot. But how when you did start to get know and you start getting invited to X and Y party and everything else, like who did you work out that you 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 rated that you wanted to be with, and how did you start to navigate the ephemera of it, the the sort of the striviness of it? Because it is look breaking news. You suddenly get known. You're on the show that everybody watches, and you get to go to like a vanity fair party. That's cool, but like. When did that, how did you feel when you first started to face that? And then how did you get its measure? So when I first went to my big, my first big event, I was completely enamored. And I felt like Tan from small town England, who was just lucky enough to go to this event. And I was blown away, of course. Like seeing Viola Davis stood there is shocking as a person who's not from this world. That is mind blowing. And then as the time's gone on, I'm very particular about who I, I will talk to anyone. And if somebody wants to say hello and tell me that they love the show, I, I will engage completely. But I'm particular about who I then see outside of that that world. And uh, you and I have been to dinner. Uh, you and I know each other outside of an event. There are only a few people I actually see outside of events. And they're the people who aren't affected. There are so many people in our world who are so heavily affected by it. They want to be at every party. They want to be at every opening of whatever. They want to be seen at every restaurant. They want the paparazzi to take their picture. Those people aren't the people I'm seeing. I see the people who want to stay at home, who just want to invite me over or I invite them over for something, 
who want to go somewhere that's not glitzy. If somebody says, let's go somewhere nice, I just think, you're not my person. I I'm, I mean, I'm fine with nice things, but that's not yeah, my go-to. I not want for self-conscious, not in a self-conscious yeah, way. Of like, I want to be able to be loud. You and I are incredibly annoyingly loud people. <laughs> yeah. like we are. Like when we're together. It's a squawk fest. Yeah. So we went out to dinner a few months ago and our partners joined us. <laughs> I don't think at any point we allowed them to say a word. Like we no, were just. They gave up. Yeah. And and that is what I want to be able to do with my actual friends. And at a fancy restaurant, I can't. I don't want to worry about decorum. I just want to have fun with my friends. And so there are a few people who I class as my friends who are entertainers that aren't many. That's just the way it is. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Welcome back to Ladies First with me, Laura Brown. I'm chatting with my first man of the series, a seriously stylish new father, Mr. Tan Friends. I like to ask, and I actually ask all the women on this podcast, but because you're a random man, I'll ask you too. Ambition. How ambitious are you and what are you ambitious for now at this stage? Ooh, um, yeah, okay, uh, honesty, honesty, because it's you. My idea of ambition has changed a lot. When I was younger, my ambition was great. I wanted to retire by 40, and that, uh, thankfully I managed to do that. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I, had, I actually did have businesses. I was a women's wear designer, had businesses, and then I did sell them and retire. Um, and then I realized, oh, wait, that, that's not, that's not the end of my life. I've got so much more to do. What do I do now? I'm still young. Yeah, yeah. And so I was offered the job on Queer Eye and I thought, well, this is the extent of it after Queer Eye. I never planned on being an entertainer. I don't feel comfortable as an entertainer. This was back in the day, four years ago. I didn't feel comfortable on camera. And so I thought, well, this is the only job I will do on TV. And that's the extent of my ambition in entertainment. And then my main ambition is to have children and be a stay-at-home parent. Now things have changed. I mean, I still desperately want to be at home with my son, but I do feel like my ambition is important and I should feel ambitious. I'm still young. I'm only 38. Why shouldn't I still aspire to do more with my career? And the more I've done in this space, I, don't get me wrong, I love, I, I love the money. I, I love the money that comes with it. It gives me security and it gives me, hopefully, my children security. But what I do love most about what I'm doing now is that I get to be a version of a person that we've never really seen on a global platform before. For the kids like me back in the day when I was a kid looking, thinking, does nobody care? No, does truly no one care enough about our stories to ever think to put us on TV? It's now been 
just under three and a half years since the show came out. We shot it four years ago. Are there more versions of me really uh, that we could really hang our hat on and say, see, it wasn't tokenism. There are more. No. And so I just think, why should I go away? Why, why do I just want to skulk off into the shadows and be like, okay, I did my one show and that's good enough. No, I don't want to go away. I want you to continue to see me and think, oh, there should be more of him. Why shouldn't there be more South Asians? Why shouldn't there be more Muslims on TV? Why shouldn't there be more queer people on TV? And I represent all of those things. And I was so scared of it at first because of the reaction I was getting from so many angry people. But it's so greatly outweighed by the positive response I feel and receive from kids in literally Pakistan, Saudi, very oppressed nations where people don't get to be themselves and express themselves. And for them to say, oh my God, I I never thought that it was possible for me to live a full, happy life. And that blows my mind and also hits me so hard. And all those kids that see something in you, I mean, God, it's that's so meaningful because I just can't look. I'm a blonde Australian lady. You know, I've seen <laughs> blonde ladies on TV yeah. and on magazines for years. So I never had that issue. But, uh, you know, so for anybody that feels that they're just removed and by seeing you put, you know, on telly, putting a, a cute jacket on someone and just being a given, you being a given rather than a... Yeah, and and that, that really is what... Uh, I've, I've now hit a point and this is arrogant, but it's true. I, I feel like I have real power at this point. I'm not in my first season of the show. We've won now so many Emmys and we're so grateful for them. But that means that I'm in a position of power and I get to decide how I'm portrayed. And so I, I think, well, am I willing to throw that all away and wait another 30 years for them to let somebody like me in? No, I'm not. I love my job, but I also feel the responsibility so greatly. And there are, don't get me wrong, there are a few other South Asian people out there who are doing a wonderful job, but nowhere near enough. Nowhere near enough. No, nowhere near enough. I, and it is something to be, you know, uh, this fine land in which we live, it takes a minute culturally as a Brit and an Aussie to embrace ambition, to embrace saying, I want that, to embrace saying, I did that. And I'm proud of that, you know, and when you can kind of reconcile, one, the appreciation that you're here and your cultural background with your desire to do stuff and great stuff, it's quite incredible. And speaking of things you've made, Taniel, you have designed the most lovely range of coats under your own name uh, that come out around about the time that we're out now. So tell me about this because, again, you came up in the biz, you made clothing, then you went and started going on the telly and talking about clothing, but now you're going back to doing it. So what? where did this desire come from? I honestly thought that I would never, ever, ever be a business owner again, a designer again. I had been designing for so long before this and I had four businesses and I did every part of those businesses myself until I could hire people. But I, I learned every facet of my business and I worked every facet of my business. And so it was such hard work. I thought I'll never ever do it again. However, then somebody reached out recently a few months ago and said, if you could do anything, what would it be? And the only thing I could think of was outerwear. And I, it's my greatest gripe mm -hmm. about our industry, especially the higher end industry, uh, a coat, a nice coat costs thousands. Yeah. Like a designer coat is so much money. It's months of rent. <laughs> yes. Literally months of rent. And I just thought, who is spending money like that? I just, it just seems bananas to me. And so 
I wanted to create a more affordable version of lovely outerwear that is a statement piece that has a detail that you, that makes it more interesting than just a a regular stores coat. And so that's what we created. And you shot this coat line with fellow South Asian Lily Singh for our November issue. It's so terribly chic and it's so lovely to see both you guys like just there and it's so graphic and it's so well done. And guess what? You're good at it, aren't you? Aren't you good at it? So, random man, we do something called 10 first and it's for which I, w- uh, I will eventually win my Pulitzer. But anyway, <laughs> are you ready? I am ready. Okay, first drink you order. Uh, oh, uh, an Americano with half and half and sugar in the raw. I don't drink alcohol. Hang on. I know that part about the alcohol. Did you just say sugar in the raw? Yeah, brown sugar. <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds like in the buff. I know, I know. Is it a <laughs> British thing? No, it's an American thing and it just is my favorite brand of brown sugar. <laughs> you can find it anywhere. <laughs> but at a restaurant, do you say I'll take my sugar in the raw? Yeah. <laughs> I say, have you got sugar in the raw? And they say, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> we just got to go and strip it. <laughs> We've only got refined. <laughs> nope, I need it raw. Oh, no, no. I don't want refined. I'm far too common yeah, for that. Yeah. I want it raw. <laughs> I'm working class. I want raw. <laughs> I'm working class, boy. <laughs> no refinement here. Okay, first thing you do when you wake up. Brush my teeth. First thing. So you stagger into the bathroom and go... Which I know is... Uh, the amount of times boyfriends have told me that's weird. Usually people will have breakfast, coffee, all that jazz, and then... No, I brush my teeth first. I don't eat breakfast. I never really have. I have my coffee and then I mouthwash before I leave. So oral health is very important to you. Really, really, really important to me. <laughs> Okay, wait, I've got a follow-up. I've got a follow-up. I did not go to the dentist for 17 years until a year and a half ago. Oh, hang on. I know. Why was that again? I was just terrified of the dentist. Um, I I had a bad experience when I got my braces removed and I I was about 14. And I just thought, nope, not doing that again. Uh, But I was so particular about mouthwashing constantly. I've I've done it every hour or so for literally 20 years. And so I thought... You preserved it. Yeah. Who knew? Just mouthwashing regularly helps you avoid cavities. So I only had one cavity after 17 years. Okay. First person you call. Uh, my husband or my sister. Depends. If I'm with my husband, I will call my sister. If I'm not with my husband, I'll call my husband. When you had your beautiful baby, Ismail, when you called your sister, what did you say? Were you like trying to FaceTime? How how did it work? Uh, Well, the honest answer is this. He had just been born and I wasn't there. So I was so upset because I was in England. And so I just called mm-hmm. her in tears saying, my baby's born and I'm not there. So that was my first conversation with her about the baby. But when I actually did meet him two days later, when I finally got home, it was my sister. And I called when I was holding my baby and she cried and I cried and it was beautiful. He's gorgeous. He's gorgeous. And when he comes into the world on his own terms, but I got to say, this kid's eyes have seen centuries. It's quite quite extraordinary. They're only outside of my local vicinity here, my friends who come over, there are only like 10 people who've seen my baby and you're one of them. Oh, well, I am honored. And when the world does, it will show <laughs> yeah. be a blessing upon them. Brace yourself. Brace yourself. Gird your loins. Okay. First, <laughs> first joke you remember. <gasps> oh, God. 
gosh. Oh my God, Laura, I don't even have one. I, I truly do not have a joke. It's all right. What makes you laugh? You. <laughs> um, always. And okay, this, I'm going to give you TV shows. Mm. I have two on rotation always. Golden Girls. <laughs> always. And then do you know a show called Keeping Up With Appearances? No. What's that? It's from the late 80s. It's a British show. It's about this nagging wife, which is terrible. <laughs> it's like, I think she's meant to be like 50, 60. It is comedy gold, Laura. You would love it. I promise you. It's incredible. Okay. First and most recent fashion splurges. But what was your first fashion splurge look when you were like, oh, I got this going on? Oh my gosh, I know. I do remember. I was, uh, oh, I may have turned 16, probably 15. I had a job as a reader in a bookstore. I would read books to children. That was my first job. I was 15. And I saved my money to buy, I don't know if this brand still exists. Do you remember the brand Nicole Fahey? Yeah, of course. That was very chic. It was very British, British chic. Yeah, beautiful. Anyway, there was a pair of camel shoes that were on sale in what out was our version of like a fancy department store. They were they were seven hundred pounds, which was like nine hundred dollars even on sale. And I I used like two months of earnings to pay to pay for them, and I wore them probably twice because they were so painfully uncomfortable. <laughs> so that was my first splurge, and then my most recent splurge was two pairs of my favorite Gucci boots. But you're like you're one of the rare people who can almost get away with. I'm sorry, I have to buy Gucci boots for work. No, it's a it's absolutely a tax write off for me. You've got to swish and make swish. It's my job. Yeah, it's my job. <sighs> Poor little know, man. Nice. I'm so sorry. I know. It is okay, nice. this is a okay. First time you owned your shit, i.e., first time you stood up for yourself. First time you were kind of like, oh, I got this going. Oh, it's a. Bad one. Do you want to know the actual yeah, story? Yeah, I do. Am I allowed, am I allowed to yes. curse? Yes. Okay, great. Fucking, of course. Okay, great. I was 15. I was working my job as a book reader. And my two bosses, uh, these two ladies were really mean. <laughs> they did not like me. And this woman just made my life hell, the general manager. And, um, and she would just basically make me feel like I was stupid. But I knew I was smarter than her even at 15. And she was at least 40. And one day, so horribly, so what happens is you read the book to a bunch of kids and then the kids' parents can buy that book if they liked it. So I would then go over and use the cash register to check them out and give them their books and send them on the merry way. And this lady, I can't remember what her name was. Actually, she's not a lady. This woman came over and uh, the store manager and was being really pissy with me because I wasn't doing what she wanted me to do in her way. I was like, I'm, I'm just, let me just finish. Like, we've got customers. And she was just being so aggressive. And then finally, I was like, why are you a fucking bitch? And I was a child. I was 15. I was like, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? Don't you ever talk to me like that again. Like, do not talk to me like that again. <laughs> These kids were in shock. Oh, the kids were in the shock. Babies, like, their ears, their ears. I know, and I felt terrible. But I was like, I don't know what made you think that you could speak to me like that, uh, that but you will never fucking talk to me like that again. Anyway, I, I quit. And she she was like, how dare you talk to me like that? I was like, how dare you fucking talk to me like that? Anyway, I was like, I don't need this job. Whatever you are, Beryl. <laughs> yeah. 
She was so mean. No, she's Beryl. No, just to Beryl. I guess she'd be a Karen. But, you know, I've, I know some nice Karens. I had a slight Pakistani inflection. We don't, we didn't speak English at the house. And so she used to make fun of it. And then so I was like, <gasps> screw you, bitch. Like, no, don't make fun of me in front of the customers. I'm sorry, I don't pronounce that the way you do. That's not my first language. Leave me alone. How would you say screw you, bitch, with a Pakistani yeah. inflection? Listen, screw you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> It just—I don't know who she thought she was. Thank you for this, for this, uh, this nugget. Okay, first thing you eat or do if you're stressed out? Oh, easy. Eat chocolate, preferably chocolate cake. But if I don't have chocolate cake, I will have chocolate. If I don't have chocolate cake or chocolate, I will make chocolate cake. Because you love a sweet. I love a sweet. I'm almost positive I have diabetes. I'm just too scared to check it. I'm not even. <laughs> I'm positive I'm diabetic. <laughs> but I haven't been to the doctors in... I also haven't been to the doctors in 18 years. I literally... Ate, I've not been since the age of 20. I had my final checkup on my, uh, when I was no. 20. And that's the last time I've been. I do not go to the doctors. Because I feel like I'm fine. You're I, immortal. I work out a lot. And <laughs> I yeah, don't yeah. eat well. And so I think I'm, I'm getting fine. a flush on. <laughs> <laughs> it's all this diabetes <laughs> talk that's getting you excited. Um <laughs> Yeah. It's all it's getting I've given me a sugar rush. Um, okay. Wait. Um okay, first thing. Okay, well this you might have already answered this, but first thing you turn on TV. Is it those two you were talking about before? Or? Yes. The first thing I turn first thing I turn on on the TV that's at night. So Golden Girls and and Keeping Up with the uh, with the Parents is um that gets me uh, calm at night and and settled me. However, in the daytime it's usually something like The Great British Baking Show. Just to give me a, a good mood for the day. Do you watch the show? No. I find it very soothing. Very yes. soothing. Okay. Almost done. First date. My first date was at somebody's house, weirdly. It was um, a guy that I went on a date with when I was 16. He was uh, 21. Um, <gasps> I know. Modern. Uh, I uh, asked him out and, and he asked me if I wanted to come over to his uh, home, which I did, which nothing happened. I was a lady. Thank you very much. Ladies first. I went over at like eight o'clock. I took pizza and then I stayed there till three or four in the morning and we just gabbed all evening. It was lovely, lovely, lovely. And he then became my boyfriend and we were together for four years. See, this is wholesome. It was lovely. It was lovely. Of course, of course you're wholesome. But here's what I want to say to you, Tan France. Not at all a random man. A lovely man, a creative man, a decent man, an entertaining man, a, n a new daddy man. And uh, and I think uh, what you see is what you get with you. And I'm so glad that I did star jumps in front of you in that flight lounge and you didn't scream and <laughs> flee. I screamed into my pillow on the plane, but other than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I could not be more honored that you were the one bloke on Ladies First this year. So thank I'm you. I'm so, so proud that I'm your first man. <laughs> Laura, you are one of the best people I know, and you've been nothing but lovely to me ever since I first met you. You're one of the kindest people I know, and I love you so dearly. You are one of my very few new friends. At, at the age of 30-something, it's hard to make new friends, but you are a very important friend to me, and I love you so much. I truly do. Thanks for joining me and Tan Friends. Come back next week for more ladies and more firsts. This has been Ladies First with Laura Brown. We can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us so you don't miss an episode. And we love your feedback. If you could please rate us and leave us a review and make me feel loved, that'd be great.
Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Anne Ford, Anne Kane, and Andy Bosnap. And thanks to Brian Anstey, Molly Stout, and Haley Mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Insta and Twitter at LauraBrand99.